0: Ocean FM Ocean FM's final whistle Thanks to Donegal Plumbing and Heating Old Loughy Road, Donegal Town Suppliers of underfloor heating packages Aluminium radiators Samsung and Daikin air-to-water heat pumps And all your renewable needs This is the final whistle on Ocean FM. There is only one Michael Murphy in the week when Donegal's captain announces his inter-county retirement. Paddy McGill and the Donegal GAA podcast assess the big man's contribution and legacy. It's Connacht Club final week for the hurlers of eSki. Team manager Michael Gordon is on the programme. We'll take you to Qatar to get a Sligo man's perspective on the hosting of the World Cup which begins this Sunday and and as Donegal prepares to host this weekend's national cross-country championships, we'll limber up for Rossapena with Finn Valley's Patty McGonigal, who joins us live. And you're welcome to the programme. This is Austin O'Callaghan. Here's how you can get in touch. 083 3500 530 by WhatsApp or text. Sport at OceanFM.ie is the email address. And we're on Twitter at OceanFM Sport. So, coming up, Sligo's Jake Dykes on life in Qatar. Ahead of the start of the World Cup, we'll talk Connacht Club final hurling with Eastkies Michael Gordon and the big cross-country athletics weekend in Donegal With Patsy McGonagall. But first, to this man.
1: We have (laughs) him! Delighted to accept this trophy on behalf of the Donegal
2: team. So I have to listen to classic honour and privilege here to climb these steps.
3: On behalf of each and every one of these players to my left, the management team out there, and each and every one of the people at Donegal, he was just an amazing talent and uh, a wonderful ca- captain, a great leader of men. That's why Jim McGuinness pointed him captain. He took over. Here's the man to do it, Lacey. Again, switching it across, looking for Murphy. Murphy
4: coming through here. Murphy goes for the goal. Oh! What a start, Lacey to Murphy. 27 seconds and Murphy has cracked the back of this. Oh, that's
0: a start from Are Michael Sr. and Michael Jr. similar in personality?
3: No, I think he's like his mother. He has his mother's traits. Uh, I suppose no, I don't think he's like me, no. Honestly, I don't. And maybe it's not a bad thing either.
1: Area. Here's Michael Murphy, balloons this one into the river end, he's been doing it for years with up County. he's around since 2007, Donegal are happy to have him, Donegal are happy to take the lead, Donegal 6, Armagh 5.
3: There's no doubt about
1: it, Michael Murphy is the, the best player ever left Donegal. He's been a leader since he came into the team, he was appointed captain at 22 years of age. Murphy soars into the air. What a catch
0: with his back turn! Oh, that is glorious. Absolutely top class. Beautifully in there to Murphy. Great shot, great
1: goal! Mm -hmm.
0: Well, Michael Murphy's decision to retire from inter-county football caught a lot of Donegal supporters by surprise this week at the age of 33... And after 177 matches for Donegal, one All Ireland senior title, five Ulster senior titles, three All Star awards, Murphy says the time is now for him to step away competitively as a player. Yesterday morning, he sat down with Alan Foley, sports editor of the Donegal Democrat, to explain the rationale behind his decision. Alan is a guest of Paddy McGill's on the Donegal GAA podcast this week, which which is now available to listen to online. Here's Alan's account of that Murphy interview. We
2: kind of talk regularly enough, and Michael is head of sport at the HU Donegal, so uh, we trying to cover them as well. There's a lot going on out there, some great sports people, you know, so we, we kind of talk that. So uh, he sent me a text about hooking up, you know, just something he wanted to run by me, so it's the presumption I went over the road in. And then we sat down in his office and... Uh, you know just chatting away and then he just says i'm retiring on and kind of got this cold shudder through my body uh <laughs> kind of a bit of su- su- surprise uh, you know he'd worked on a statement and that but he just kind of said he wanted to sit down with somebody and uh, kind of go through it and that's so that's what we worked on then yeah so we sat for half an hour and we kind of chewed the fuck and spoke about a variety of things patty so it was, it was very nice yeah. him to give me the opportunity but uh, a huge loss to doing all as everyone is saying
1: and for anybody that hasn't seen the piece, you can get it on, you just literally Google Donegal Live Sport, go onto their website, you can get it there, our Twitter, Facebook, the usual platforms. It's it's a brilliant piece from from Alan Foley of the Donegal Live. Were you surprised, Alan?
2: I was a little bit taken on back at, at first. Um, you know, I had kind of heard whispers, do you hear a lot of whispers, uh, Shocked a wee bit at the start, but I suppose when you sit down and through and you know, he's, he's a thoughtful guy. I think he spent most of his life thinking about football. Um, he had his reasons, and his reasons are entirely fair. Um, you know, some people might, you know, maybe there's a year or two left in him. Maybe, maybe not, but he, he basically said he's a kind of a full dinner type of guy. He could maybe get to 85, 90%, but in his own head, and he said himself, he didn't feel that was enough. Um, maybe to wear the jersey i'm sure plenty of agree with that but i think you just got to respect the guy's
1: decision really paddy usually people supporters are eminently tuned into the idea that one may retire like anil mcgee he was basically saving christmas for about five years there in a row when he said he was staying on but you know there's normally ripe speculation with all those Mayo lads that retired a couple of years ago you're expecting it but it feels we weren't really in that space with Michael, where we thought he was maybe going to be scraped off the field.
2: Yeah, I suppose it's just the time. Like, you know, there was kind of a, a bit of a long period there from the 12th of June, you know, because, you know, you kind of got the feeling then Declan was going to go. It, it kind of took maybe four or five weeks for that to materialise. You know, the search then for the new manager took another while. So I suppose Donegal really, at the minute, you weren't really sure where Donegal are at as such, and I suppose like this is obviously you know a blow to to Paddy Carney and/or coming in like just a huge loss. And you know there's there's so many of the usual terms being used like like he's up there with the best ever to have played for Donegal, possibly even the best. Like I wouldn't really pick hairs, you know, if you're trying to decide who is better between him and uh, Carney, Seála Martin McHugh, or whatever you have. Um, but it's just, I think, even from such a young age, he inherited the captaincy ahead of the 2011 season, having been Jim McGuinness's captain with the 21s in 2010. And maybe thought a little bit at the time, you know, like this guy's a great captain, but he's very young, you know. And it was like as an under 21 captain, you have to be at that age. But like he just took it on his shoulders. And I think like that's the, the bigger loss, even besides a brilliant footballer. It's just a guy who took captaincy to an absolute different level. He was like a representative body for the. For the team and
1: for the people at Donegal, and one you were really proud of, the way he conducted himself. Would he have stayed on for other managers? I've got a few messages about that, but at the moment, that's only speculation. Unless we see a trend of three, four five players leaving, or certainly at least another two, That that's only speculation. We have to take him on his word of why he retired in the piece that he did yeah. with you, because we know he's a man of integrity.
2: Yeah, and I did ask that question as well, but he, he said basically, like every year, he, he said he almost, he, he considered, he said even from his mid-20s, he considered, am I up for this for another year? And like, obviously he was then for for many years, but I suppose in more recent years, he said like the injuries were frustrating. But he did remind me, you know, like you remember the early years of Tim McGuinness, like Michael was missing chunks of leagues, getting operations done. you remember coming back, playing bets parts of the Sigerson Cup, yeah. where he was gearing his year towards um, the Championship. You know, in more recent years, he's kind of had a few niggles with the hamstring in the back and that. But, you know, he still played an awful lot of games, probably more league games. Like this year, he was in Portland, Owen, uh, for the first McKenna Cup game. Uh, that was not something you saw all the time. But he just said on the 12th of June that day, um, the day Donegal last to Armagh, he said if Donegal had a, got knocked out in the first round of Ulster, had they won the All-Ireland, had they won Ulster, he would probably still have reached the same decision. Uh, which was interesting about that day. Like he, he told the lads in the dress, you know, Donegal will always have a team, you know, he, he kind of maybe hinted what was inside his head and he didn't board the team bus home. He got left home with his mom and dad, you know, he said the wheel turned full circle, you know, for many years, his mom and dad and Michael, you know, would have gone to games and fullness, you know, they, they would have been well noticed at Donegal games throughout, you know, before Michael's time. So he said he was kind of let sit for a few months and like, that's, Five months ago now but he, he said yesterday as of yesterday he says he hadn't moved one inch since the thought process on the 12th of June so that's why he went to go with it because as I said some years before he would have had doubts which might have been ironed out so he did suggest that it was really it was nothing to do with no matter who the manager was and like give his absolute backing to the new management team and all the players even said he'd be there on the terrace with his jersey on because that's what Michael
1: Murphy grew up as and he says that's what he will now revert to I remember watching a documentary on Alan Hansen before and before he got a job with Match of the Day, he said, believe it or not, he says, I was very good at football, but I was never actually obsessed with football. And you get that across a variety of sports. Some people are amazing at a particular sport, but they may not actually necessarily be in love with the sport. But Michael Murphy had a deep, visceral love and passion for Gaelic football and Donegal. Oh yeah, like ever since his childhood, like his father, Mick, before the 2012
2: All-Ireland final, you know, told me, you know, Michael was actually born with kind of inverted hips, so they had to get him kind of treatment when he was very young, and uh, Michael might have been about four years of age one day, and they're, you know, they're passing Croke Park on, on the way home, I believe, so Mick says, let's go and hear a walk, and then they went, and uh, you know, Michael was just taken aback by this. He always admitted to being obsessed by Anthony Malloy, he'd watched the 92 video over and over again, and they met me under Maraherty there. And me, asked him what his name was. He says, "I'm Michael Murphy. My favourite player is Anthony Malloy. Uh, he made no secrets for his obsession about GA, and like would be able to hold a candle to anybody if you're talking about players even from before his time. Very well read up on it, and uh, you know, just just a, just a major fan, I suppose, as you said.
1: The metric varies in how players are measured, rated, Alan. The term leader or leadership, whether it's the noun or the verb, is the one that is just constantly doing the realms when it comes to Michael, isn't
2: it? Oh, yeah. But as I said, I think it's it's even more the personal stuff. You know, the the way he was just so approachable. Like, there was a story once, you know, a member of the Donegal panel, you know, when they were going real well under Jim McGinnis. You know, the Jesus, uh, my phone is flooded with text messages. And Michael says, yeah, yeah, but, you know, when they come next Monday or Tuesday, I'll get a chance to sit down and, and answer them all. And the personal question says, geez, do you answer them all? And he says, Oh, yeah, of course I answer them all. If someone goes to bother texting you, you text them back, it's only matters. And you know, that I think that just kind of shows the type of the man, yeah.
1: He predates all young Donegal fans. It's kind of fifteen slash sixteen years, isn't it? But even if you're 20, you would never, if you're a big GA fan, you would not remember following Donegal without Michael being involved.
2: Absolutely, yeah, because uh you know, he's basically been in it since what, January? He got the phone call in Bunkrana, he said on his old his old Nokia. That was December 2006, ahead of the McKenna Cup. Um, So that's exactly half his life ago. You know, he's just turned 33 in August there. So when you look at it that way, like the guy who's done golf football, absolutely nothing. And I think, you know, he's played through the pin barriers. He's done everything. Even like simple little things that we're, we're probably going to notice now that a free kick inside the the 45 metre line isn't a gimme anymore, you know, Like, and that's no disrespect to whoever's going to take that responsibility, but there's just so many little small things that added up to, to make him what he is.
1: You would know from, you've probably interviewed him 10 times more than I have, but just me personally, I remember the Drew with Mayo, even in Sligo, the start of the league, and being Michael Murphy, obviously he was furious, but it was pelting rain, it was really, really windy, the bus was pulling off, and I said, would you have a minute or two? Make he came out, got soaked, annoyed after the performance, but still did the interview. And, you know, for us lads, just, and even for supporters, who we're doing it for the supporters so they can listen to it, whether it's, on a, whether it's in print or whether it's in audio. And I just thought, yeah, that does say a lot about him. I know it's a cliche sometimes, you know, that rhetoric, but very, very obliging. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that day too he was quite
2: annoyed. Do you remember he had to go off as his blood sub as well when Donegal were going very well in the first half before the game ended in a draw? And I think even like from a media perspective, and you'd understand this, Patty, as well, that you know, he, he saw us as um, you know, the, the media's job is really to communicate from people like Michael to to the general public and the people and like sometimes we have to ask the hard questions, you know, it's it's what we're getting asked, I suppose, in your everyday life. And you know, he was always very accommodative with us guys as well. I remember growing up,
1: Alan, watching Roy Keane, and I remember my dad used to say to me, enjoy Roy Keane. you mightn't see his likes again. And I never really knew what he meant at the time, because obviously you don't remember Brady or Giles or anything like that and Paul McGrath came along. My point being, he actually said the same thing about Sonia O'Sullivan. What I'm getting at here is, another great may come along, but there's no guarantees. These top people in their sports in their discipline that maybe you're watching for your team. They don't grow in threes. We may get one in the next 10 years, but we could be waiting 40 years to get somebody of his stature.
2: Yeah, like he's a generational player and John Fogarty tweeted that. But I think he meant generational as in the country, not in in the county. Uh, You're right about that. Even like Robbie Keane, people used to criticize him a lot. And you kind of thought then, you know, like, well, we can move on without him, even the Irish international team. But then the goals dried up. Like the guy had scored sixty six international goals, which is three times more than anybody. And it took a little while for Ireland even have they even got there to that stage where you've got even someone as quarter as proficient as that. So, you know, we were very lucky to have you know just somebody who played one hundred and seventy seven times. Seventy seven of them came in the championship. Like missed very few games. Like off the top of my head, I can only think of a couple really that, that stand out in the championship. And you know when you had. The likes of him and and Jerry McLaughlin say like
1: you wouldn't have swapped them for any other other pair in Ireland, really. Like, I know there's numerous authors to this quote. Out of all the unimportant things, football is the most important, and we know there there are a lot worse things out there. But but football does mean a lot to so many people. Like, this can't be easy on them. This it can't be like having been you know they talk about being institutionalized, whatever whatever that's in. It's going to be hard, not just because he was a great player, but he was also captain. As Sportsfile tweeted last night, Mister Donegal. it's it's not easy.
2: No, absolutely not. Like, and even when he he took on the captaincy of the Irish international rules, you know, um, like people's opinions will differ on on that. What sort of sport is it? The hybrid na- nature of it, but like I remember, even I think it was that weekend. Um, Michael was a captain. He had to play. Ireland on the Saturday night in Croke Park on the Sunday, the county final 2013. Kelly Beggs were playing against his Glenswilly side. Remember the same weekend, actually, Seamus Coleman, captain Ireland, is that right, against Germany? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Cologne, and also Jason Quigley at that stage was still an amateur um, in and around the world final. I remember just thinking that weekend, like it's, I guess I just know that weekend and the date and that because it's actually around my birthday time, but just remember thinking like like three legends here like three guys that would sit you could meet on the street or go for a coffee with like really really at the top of their game and like such pride that would bring to the people who don't go you know it can't be easy living in that sort of spotlight either like and especially as michael is you know of the those three guys now and um you know michael was like the amateur sports person who had to go to college and had to you know open the, the shop in the morning or go out to the atu so you know, for him to even just take that on, that responsibility, like he seldom got a quiet moment, I'm sure. Like he was probably too accommodating, maybe. He might not appreciate me saying that. But, you know, I think the guy now can, you know, just, you know, sit back and just relax for a while. He's going to stay on with Len Swinley, which is a huge push to Len Swally. And I think, you know, any GA fan in Donegal would, could do worse than paying their, their five or ten euros into Len Swally to see an All-County League game when, you know, that's going to be your avenue now to see someone like Michael Murphy playing. So... Uh, he will continue then, probably with the minor team who he brought to the Division 1 final a couple of weeks ago. They were beaten before Masters, but like Linzoy had never won an A title before at Underage. They've got the last two minor finals. You can kind of see the players coming through now, even in their 21 side, uh, their minor side in that. So, you know, it, it's they're, they're building nicely there and like like what, a, what an impact someone like Michael Murphy can have. He said he'll do absolutely anything for them. I think if he was offered the job as... Only janitor at the training center tomorrow. He would probably take it as well. And you know, he kind of got the impression, of him. you know, his, he made like maybe three or four references. The fact, you know, that the chapter is closed. He was kind of content enough in that. Um, he said, like, obviously, there's a few things that didn't go his way down the years, but you know, the ups and downs. You know, the ups are the ups are better because you have suffered the downs. So, like, I'm very sure we haven't seen the mat last of Michael Murphy yet, and as I said, Paddy, uh, I mean, we might all be pitching down to Glenswally for a few, few games next season to see the great man
1: in action. I'm moving to Glenswally for six months from March yeah. to about okay. September time. He's an unquantifiable loss for Donegal, isn't he, for the next couple of years? Oh yeah, like in a playing sense, it's just. And that's
2: no disrespect to any of those, those other guys on the panel or anybody who might be knocking on the door. You know, it's it really shows the wheels of change, Paddy. I suppose there's, there's, from all the lads who played in the 2012 All-Ireland Final, I think including the substitutes, you're left with Patrick McBerty is, is the only one. That was always going to happen, I suppose. Patrick was at a young age compared to the rest of them. But you know, the, the wheels of change are kind of going there. When you when you see the likes of Michael, it, it doesn't feel like that long ago, really, when, when we were sitting in Carrick and Shannon that night, like in the young fellow from Glenswell. He made his first first championship start for Donegal. Uh, like he admitted yesterday, he, he almost, you know, he felt he just couldn't get into the game that day at all. But first ball he got then from Kevin McMenamin, and he stuck it in the net, you know, and, and like that was day one. Even, I remember, I think Paddy was even just his second competitive game was Donegal away to West Meath. But an early penalty like and like michael was 17 years of age i think and did up took the penalty and actually it was saved by gary collington but you know that shows the level of responsibility he's going to take on his shoulders like you see some 17 year olds now and you can't you know um fathom this is the same age that, that michael was when he was you know really starting to carry uh you know a county on his on his shoulders like when you really think of some of the great moments like even even very early days, like you'll remember 2009, he played full forward a lot with John Joe Doherty that year, apparently, like put in a brilliant performance one night against Derry and a great qualifying win. Yeah. Even the day in Croke Park, Donegal were were hammered. I think the score was 127-210, to 210, was it, against Cork? Yeah, That was in 2009, yeah. That day, unbelievable. Like his performance that day in a, in a record scoreline, defeated Croke Park, which is still intact for Donegal, the record score in a football match. Like basically one young footballer of the year that day, uh, so like just there's so many things you can go through from start to finish. Yeah, we haven't got all day to go through them, and but everyone's going to have their own memories. And I suppose 2012 will always
1: stand out, and, and that goal against Mayo, no, really. Well, that's that. We're going to touch on it more with Brian and Francie. Like you talk about all the great performances. Remember, we lost to Fermanagh and to Prairie in the league a couple of years ago, and the whole season was kind of. You're nearly almost catered around Michael Murphy wins, Michael Murphy returning, it was always the, yeah. the talk, and I remember he came on against Armagh with 15-20 minutes gone and we were in big trouble and looked like we That's were right, yeah. going to go down maybe as opposed to go up and he just, it was a microcosm in the space of 10 minutes, I remember Carol Kane said last year when we beat Derry, the same day as the Euros final McBrearty's late winner, he said, I thought it was a great line, he says, he was the schoolmaster coming in to the classroom and everybody yeah. sitting up on their on their on their oh, chairs yeah. properly yeah.
2: but he, even his presence that day, you know kind of freed up nail o'donnell remember that they did remember like michael kind of dragged a bit more attention then o'donnell came through and scored three points in that game uh even at the end like patrick had a wonder shot but like i remember even it was like for michael the biggest game was always the next game it didn't matter if it was playing for ireland against australia or playing a division two game for the last like i remember one year before that weekend, I was talking about it in 2013, you know, the, the county final coming up. He was Irish captain coming up and he played against Terman on a Saturday evening at fully in a league game. And you're thinking, Jesus, like, why are you doing this? You know, you, you have too much to lose here. But he, he said, you know, we needed to win to get promoted. We need to get back in Division One. I think he scored 2-2 in nine minutes. Ah, <laughs> and yeah. one of the goals almost burst the netting. And then his job was done and they took him off. And he just thought, like, you know, I think that guy, you got to give it to him.
0: Alan Foley, sports editor with the Donegal Democrat in conversation with Paddy McGill on this week's Donegal GAA podcast and that pod all about Michael Murphy is available to listen to in full right now wherever you get your podcasts just look for Ocean FM Ireland online to find it. Next, let's take you to Qatar where soccer's World Cup kicks off this Sunday when the hosts play Ecuador in their opening group match at 4 p.m. Irish time. This, you'll know, is a tournament which has been shrouded in controversy in the run-up because of the host country's human rights record, treatment of stadium construction workers, not to mention its attitudes to the LGBTQ community. But what's it actually like to live there? Former League of Ireland and Irish League soccer player Jake Dykes, who's from Sligo, has been living and working in Qatar for the past three years, and he's been giving Ocean FM Sport an insight into the World Cup's Host nation.
4: It's a totally different world from three years ago, and when we first arrived. To be fair, everything's changed from head to toe. Really, you know, with the amount of construction and everything. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that I've never experienced before in terms of what they have, um, the level of revenue that they have, the level of money that they have coming into the country um, is something that I've never seen before. Uh, probably only in rival in other Gulf states that I've been to. Just
0: to refresh people's memory who aren't as familiar with your story, how does a young footballer from Sligo who played League of Ireland and Irish League football with Dungan and Swifts end up in Qatar?
4: Yeah, well, I, I think it came around um, for a couple of different reasons, really. Um, I was lucky enough to, to go to the US and um, complete my education over there, so I was very keen to use that um, straight away once I graduated. Um, and the opportunity to play with Dungannon and came around. I started a job in Sligo, and then uh, there was an opportunity that arose out here in Qatar to be involved in the football sector. Um, and obviously, with the lead up to the World Cup, I thought it was a, a good move um, to start off with. Uh, so I took that. Um, I haven't looked back since. To be fair, it's been it's been a great experience. It's opened my eyes, I suppose, to um, the Arab world and, and what it's all about. The cultures. Um, there is a lot of similarities as well, which which I suppose is. is uh, probably one of the things that haven't been talked about during the World Cup um, and the lead-up to the World Cup. But yeah, I suppose it's just the, the opportunities to, to come out to a different culture, experience it, get involved in the in the football world and just to kind of experience the whole uh, procedure up until the World Cup as well. Obviously, we're, we're only a couple of days away from it now, so that was really the, the main thinking behind it all. So I remember watching Sepp Blatter announce
0: and the World Cup in Russia in 2018 will go to Russia and in 2022, Qatar. So you've come in on the kind of latter stages of the preparation for the World Cup in Qatar. Have you seen a huge change even in the three years you've been there?
4: Massive, can't even describe it. Like I'm fortunate enough to get home in the summers for a couple of weeks. You literally come back Austin off a flight and the roads have changed. Um, this was a country that had no infrastructure at all in terms of metro, in terms of hotels and accommodation. Um, so the, the change, you know, they've spoken about it over the last 12 years since they've won the bid. But for me, I've been here three and a half years and even the change since then has been, you know, there's no other word for it but astronomical really because it's just been, everything changes here overnight. Um, and even to this day now, um, they're still preparing the fan zones. Um, which are, are the final touches. But again, they're they're working incredibly hard to get everything prepared for it. So it's it's, it's going to be an interesting spectacle because Qatar is, is only the size of, you know, Galway, Mayo, Leitrim, maybe even Sligo combined. Um, you literally can go to the top of the country and back down to the bottom of the country within an hour and a half. So it's going to be very interesting. It's the first World Cup that they're going to have seven stadiums within 20-minute radius of each other. So... Yeah, they, had, they had no infrastructure whatsoever. Um, it's it's interesting as well, a lot of Irish people, uh, there's a big Irish community out here. A lot of them uh, worked in the metro stations, um, the lines for the metro, um, and getting the infrastructure in, pa- in place as well. So, uh, yeah, huge changes in the last three years. And of
0: course, the reason the World Cup has been played in Qatar in November and December is because it's too hot to play the tournament in june and july i'm sure you've got a sense of the negative publicity the world cup is attracting in this part of the world in terms of qatar's human rights record, the impact it's had on the the workers in building the the eighth stadia for the tournament is any of that conveyed where you are in the qatari media is it a talking point a matter of debate at all
4: yeah i I think it is and it's it's, um it's something that is, is very tricky um, in this part of the world to speak about because, for example, you know, th- there was um, the report about the migrant deaths and, and, and the number of the migrant deaths, which of course, you know, any death at all um hosting the event, is, 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 it shouldn't happen. Um, what, the, what has been kind of the rhetoric here has been that, you know, there, there seems to be an attack coming from um, the West and, that, and that's kind of the approach that they're taking. Um, so, as I said, like fr- from my point of view, you know, I-, I can only look at and I can only speak about what I've seen here. Um, and as I said, all the companies that I've worked with in my time here, um, the way that they've treated people has been second to none. Um, you know, it's it's been really. I haven't seen it else, and that's me being totally honest. And it's it's something that. It would be unfair for me to speak about. Uh, I looked; it was interesting. I watched the um, the latest Netflix documentary about FIFA yesterday, uh, a couple of uh, episodes of it, and it seemed to be, you know, even Argentina in nineteen seventy eight, it seemed to be used as a World Cup for propaganda. Um, so I think the World Cup and what we've seen even recently with Russia in twenty eighteen, it seems to be used as kind of a political game tournament, um, which is obviously not, you know, the, the memories that I would have of a World Cup. Or I'm sure most of the Irish population would have, you know, you look back at 2002, um, when the country basically came to a standstill, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a different approach out here, um, it seems to be that they're, they're getting kind of hit from every single angle, and obviously, you know, there, there seems to be concerns around, um, you know, human rights and, and, and everything else that's going on. Um, what I would say is that, from my point of view, I think it'll be an inclusive tournament for people to come to. Um, I think that FIFA have made that very apparent and they've made statements about that. Um, I think it is it is a welcoming country. As I said, the majority of the population here, three quarters of it, is expat. Um, obviously, you know, you're living in their house, so when you're living in somebody's house, you obey by their rules. Um, but I think with FIFA coming here, this is Qatar's chance, and not only Qatar, but the Gulf's chance and the Arab world's chance, to show the world what they can do. Um, so, you know... That's all I can speak about, really. It, it'll be very unfair of me to, to speak about anything else. But obviously, um, there does seem to be um, a, a rhetoric around it at the minute, um, which, yeah, again, it'll be unfair, unfair for me to comment on.
0: Are there local leagues in soccer in Qatar, Jake? Like, is there a Qatari equivalent of the Southern Hotel Super League or the Sligo leitrim Youth Soccer Leagues?
4: Yeah, there is. Yeah, and it's actually I've played in it, honestly To be fair, and it's been it's been great. I've I've really really enjoyed it. So. Um, when I moved out, there was a club here called Parkhouse United, which was basically for Irish expats. Um, it was set up, I think, about maybe 12, 14 years ago. Um, there's two guys running it, one guy from Derry um, and one guy from Dublin. And yeah, it's, uh, we were really, really fortunate because we actually got to play um, and train on all the World Cup facilities for the training facilities. So we basically tested them. Um, in the lead up to the teams arriving now obviously in the next couple of days for the World Cup so that was really really enjoyable the standard was so so high Um, in terms of like the amateur teams I know that there was players brought in from from different countries um, to play in the second division out here Um, and their third uh, team played in the community league um, for the World Cup so the standard was really, really high, and um, there was a couple of guys on on my team uh, that played League of Ireland. There was a, a Tipperary a hurler, former hurler. He was he was very, very good. Uh, I, I I don't know if he's won an All Ireland. He definitely played an All Ireland final because he doesn't stop talking about it. Uh, but yeah, the, the standard's been really, really good. Um, and that's one thing that I would say as well is that um, in terms of the World Cup, and, and the, definitely a positive of that is that the communities around Qatar. Um, have received funding to develop football programmes. Um, I know Qatar Foundation as well does a lot of work for um, children with disabilities, which was something that has never been here uh, previously. So uh, football is definitely something that they're, they're very, very proud of and, and they definitely want to bring to the forefront now over the next couple of weeks. Will you go and watch some of the games? I will, yeah, yeah. fortunate enough um, to get tickets to the quarterfinals and to the uh, semifinals. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, We've a couple of friends coming over, a couple of family members, um, and actually there, there's a couple of people here as well that are going to come with us. So we're looking forward to it. Um, I think it'll be a good tournament, as I said. I think a lot of it will depend on, on what the football is like. If the football is obviously bad, um, they need to get prepared for that. But if the football is good, then I, I think um, you know it, it should be a, a good tournament for all. And I think, as I said, it should be a welcoming tournament for all.
0: That's Ligo's Jake Dykes in Qatar on the eve of Soccer's World Cup, which kicks off this Sunday at 4pm Irish time. And still to come, we'll be chatting to Keys hurlers ahead of Saturday's Connacht Junior Club hurling final against Ballygar of Galway. But next to the 2022 National Senior, Junior and Juvenile Even Age Group cross-country championships, which are taking place this Sunday, in Donegal at Rossapena Golf Resort to be precise. The first time the county has hosted the prestigious cross country championships since 1999. Let's have a word with Finn Valley Athletic Club's Patsy McGonigal, who's just in from the uh, the final trailing run maybe with some of his athletes ahead of Sunday. Good evening to you Patsy. Good evening Austin. Well this is a nice uh, accolade for Donegal Athletics to have the uh, the national seniors back on your home patch once again.
5: I absolutely, and uh, just the background to it is that Cranford Athletic Club, which was the first ever athletic club, you know, organised athletic club as such in Donegal. Uh, sixty years, celebrating sixty years, so you know, so the whole thing tied in with that, and. Uh, so Rossa is the training, is it, is the the training ground for that club. So uh, that's where we're headed. And for once in our lifetime, it's a short journey to a national championship, particularly when you live in Donegal.
0: Indeed, I, I, I imagine some people listening when they hear Rossa they'll think golf rather than athletics.
5: Well, absolutely, and uh, sure, it's a world, it's a world class golf course. But uh, the, the the family, the Casey family, uh, who own the golf course, have been very kind and they've given the grounds for the. For the occasion and the whole community has rolled on behind it you know obviously serious uh, demands on parking and all that kind of thing and everybody w- has worked and the, the, the local community have been out there for the last 10 days preparing you know
0: You were deeply involved the last time the National Senior cross country Championships came to Donegal that was your own Finn Valley Club back in 1999 there's a fair bit that goes into this
5: there was a fair bit goes into it, and my motivation that time was because I had a good women's team. Uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to to win the nationals, and uh, which we actually did. And then uh, my junior men won that particular day as well. So you know I was motivated to to, to put the to meet on, and uh, and uh, you know it all worked out extremely well. Now, the conditions on the day were atrocious, absolutely atrocious. But um, uh, that was cross country, and um, it's long forgotten when you won when you won on the day. But a lot a lot of effort and a lot of planning and. And a lot of you know, and it's even got worse since then. You know, because there is this thing nowadays with people coming with tents and club tents and all of that, and the media attention nowadays is is much more. So it's uh, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of requirements needed to stage a nationals.
0: And plenty of recognisable names coming to the northwest this weekend. Patsy, we'll have Olympians there. We'll have Kira McGeehan, a European silver medalist, of course, and Commonwealth silver medalist during the summer. So there, there are a lot of high quality athletes who are going to give Russell Penna a crack this Sunday.
5: Well, they are. You see, and the, the backdrop to that is uh, is us, and that you know the first three across the line and the senior and junior and the under twenty threes are um, are selected for the European Championships. They're automatic selections, and then three more are added. This, this, this weekend also ties in with the NCEA championships across the States. So a couple of good Irish running there. So they may be added to the team and two of my own guards are not coming home. Uh, they're running, they're going to go to Tennessee and raise a 5k and prove their fitness and hope that they're, that, that, that can get them on the team. So, you know, there's a lot of people who want to be on that European team and, uh, of course, um, the backdrop there was the was the national was the European Championships in Dublin last year, and the great excitement, well, and the great success. Yeah, yeah they yeah. surely
0: were. Italy is the venue for the for this year's Championships yes. in December. Locally, would you, without you know, putting any pressure on local athletes, would you be hopeful that some of the uh, Finn Valley Letterkenny athletes can be at the business end of some of the competitions this Sunday?
5: Yes, absolutely. You know, I'd be disappointed if, for example, a young fellow of mine here, Sean McGinley, wasn't in the in the, in the shootout and the on the twenty twenty boys. He won the Adam Cross Country in that age range, and uh, I'd be expecting him to be top three if not winning it. And then there's uh, the letter Kelly women's team. They won the they won the national team championship last year for the first time in their history, and uh, on home on home ground now. on this occasion they defend the title, as does uh, Finn Valley Junior Women. So there's a good amount uh, of local interest, you know. Um, so, but I, I kind of fancy that Kenny to retain their title, and I fancy young McGinley and the junior boys particularly. My my under twenty girls haven't uh, weathered the storm as well. They're still running; they'll still be there. But um, you know, they they were at that they're at that age when they moved to third level from secondary school, and that takes a bit of a time to, to, to kind of bed in. So it's, um, it's it's going to be exciting due yeah. to the fact that there will be Donegal uh, challengers.
0: Indeed, and it's not just finally Patsy for the for the grown ups because we will have under twelve under. 14, under 16. You'll have the best young up-and-coming runners from north, south, east and west descending on Rosapenda this weekend.
5: Yes, and, and an, add, an added bonus there, Austin, is there's a, a local young boy from Chrysler um, who runs with Cranford who would be the fancied athlete on in the, in the under 16 boys so that would be something else if a local boy were to win an underage title as well
0: and poignant too if he was to, to run well we wish yeah. him the very best of luck uh, given all that's happened in recent months Patsy good to talk to you as always we uh, we look forward to Sunday half 11 start I think it is with the under 12 race and throughout uh, the late morning and early afternoon in Rossapenna Golf Resort in Donegal for the National Senior and Underage Cross Country Championships in Donegal this weekend that's Patsy McGonagall from Finn Valley Athletic Club and we'll bring you live updates on events in Donegal on Sunday during Ocean FM Sport from 2 pm. Let's finish with a big one for East Hurlers this Saturday. They're getting ready to take on Ballygar of Galway in the <coughs> Connacht Junior Club Hurling Final in Bacon at half past one. The Sligo Champions, remember, lost last year's Connacht Decider. So might that stand to Michael Gordon's side this weekend? It's important
3: the fact that we were there last year, often because I know it's a bit of a cliche on that and it's not one that I actually like to use that much but a lot of people do say you have to lose one to win one and that was probably also the case, you'd say, with our domestic championship. we uh, Three three years ago, we lost to Neuron in the final and then the following year, we, we got over the line and again like that, we had to win. So hopefully, that is the case on Saturday but look, at teams have lost two and three on the spin so it, <laughs> it'll be out, yeah but it will be have the fact that the lads have experienced it
0: before, yes. Yeah. But that's all. You have moulded a group of hurlers, Michael, over the years who are ambitious. They have got to the top of the tree in Sligo and stayed there. And you have exciting players to watch, whether the name is Coley or McHugh or Kilcullen. Uh, Isky have been the standard bearers in Sligo. And... Um, what is needed to make that jump at provincial level in your mind?
3: Well, I think often the fact that we had 15 players involved with Sligo last year in the National League in Division 2B, uh, which is quite a high grade of hurling, we were playing teams like Kildare and Derry, whose club teams compete in the Senior All-Ireland Club Championship. And... I was really happy the fact that those lads had the ambition to do that, because obviously I knew that by virtue of the fact that they'd been involved at such a high level right throughout the winter months, and right up in fact until that June, when the Christie ring finished up, um, those lads would have played more than a dozen high-profile games with the county. And, for example, in the National League Finals in Derry, uh, which I watched above in Fermanagh I think there were 10 of our lads who featured in that game so that's, that's a huge plus for us, yes yeah.
0: To the outside person I suppose they'll see the opposition come from Galway they must be good it, it, it's not as clear cut as that is it in, in Hurling?
3: No, maybe it was years ago but obviously the dynamics that things have changed quite a bit from the point of view that we know Ballygar are good a traditional hurling club, and they've been hurling for throughout the ages, okay, probably since the foundation of the association. Whereas we are, it could be said in some respects, that we're a fledgling club. But at the same time, what you will find when you look into it, when you dig a bit deeper, is that our lads have been hurling from a very early age, which would be the case traditionally in the stronger counties. Whereas in the weaker counties, a lot of lads might be taking up hurling in the past. Because the fancied having to go when under fifteen or sixteen or whatever, and basically that doesn't work. But her hurling has to be brought up from the, the the from the roots, and we certainly have done that. These guys have been on the road rough now since they were under eights, under tens. They've been winning county under twelve titles all Ireland. They under fourteen titles. They won two of them in two thousand thirteen. They won two county under sixteen titles in thirteen and fifteen. I think people like Rory McHugh and Andrew McCullum and James Weir, lads like that, I think they would have all four medals. They would have two All Ireland sailors and two comets from the 60s. So, uh, you know, this, this isn't a flash in the pan or this isn't a group of lads that have appeared from nowhere. There has been an awful lot, and I mean an awful lot of work put in with these lads at underage. We have probably travelled the length and the breadth of the country. We hurled in Kilkenny, we hurled in Galway, we hurled in Limerick, we hurled in Tipperary, we hurled in Dublin. We hurled in Antrim, in Derry, all over the
0: country, literally. And I'm just wondering, Michael, when you and, and your, your fellow mentors started out with this hurling project in West Ligo with East ski and you had the eight-year-old version of James Weir, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, d- d- this is where you wanted to get to, isn't it? To, to be contesting Connor Club finals. Or did you have specific goals in mind at the time? <laughs>
3: Yes, I, I had a very specific goal often. Um, but for years, we were hearing the the, the throwaway remark being cast in our direction. Ah, where are you going with that whole hurling? And things like that. And I, I knew deep down in my heart that the only reason the hurling wasn't taken off and hurling in 5 and countries like it was basically two things. It wasn't really being given a chance to breathe. It wasn't being promoted properly by the county boards, And also, uh, the coaching was inadequate. And I knew that if we changed that up, I knew that we could create a bunch of lads that could compete with any team, anywhere. And part of that strategy was to bring them to all the traditional Pirling counties that we did bring them to. And to win in those counties, you know, they, they actually went to Kilkenny and they played two games over Saturday. I'll never forget it. They played a game against Moncoyne on the 16, And then the, straight away after that game, they played Piltown. And at that time, Coins, who was probably one of the most successful clubs in Kilkenny, I think they had 12 senior titles. They were operating out of Division 1 in the Kilkenny the 16 League, and Piltdown were operating out of Division 2. And our had won half of those games. And that was a massive split for the lads, because now they were starting to realise that they could play Ireland against any team anywhere. And for me to get that embedded in the mindset at an early age, because you know what they say about children, like they're sponges, they absorb the information. If they believe they can win, then they believe. If you don't get them that belief, well, then they don't believe that. And, you know, that's basically how, I wo- how it works with a scheme
0: manager in Hurling. Michael Gordon, keep an eye on that Connacht Junior Club hurling final. It's on this Saturday, half past one at the Connacht GAA Centre of Excellence in Bacon. Uh, Ballygar of Galway, the Galway Junior Hurling Champions are Eastgate's opponents. We'll have live commentary online for you on oceanfm.ie from one thirty this Saturday. It's also being streamed live by Connacht GAA and Saturday is busy because at the same time, <coughs> excuse me, in Avant Money Pork Show, Majima, then Carrie Shannon, the Connacht Senior Men's Football 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 semi final, St Mary's, the Leitrim champions against Tourla Strand, the Sligo champions. It's at half past one and it's live on Ocean FM, courtesy of Sligo Audiology Services. There's also a live stream available, compliments of Connacht GAA. One final piece of Gaelic Games news that's Sligo related this evening and Donegal related. All-Ireland winner from 2012, Colin McFadden, is the new forwards coach for the Sligo Senior Men's Gaelic Football Team. He's been recruited by Tony McEntee for the 2023 season. A reminder that this programme is available as a podcast each week on OceanFM.ie and wherever you get your podcasts, search for Ocean FM Ireland to find it. We're back next week. Same time. Same place.
3: Ocean FM.
0: Ocean FM's final whistle. Thanks to Donegal Plumbing and Heating, Old Lahigh Road, Donegal Town. Suppliers of underfloor heating packages, aluminium radiators, Samsung and Daikin air-to-water heat pumps and all your renewable needs.